Welcome to Northgate Bible Chapel Online. Thanks for checking out our podcast, where you can listen to our latest sermons, filled with teaching, encouragement, and hope from God's Word. So whether you're outdoors, in the car, or just poured some coffee, let's dive into today's message. Um, yes, uh, your electronic Bibles will suffice as well. Turn to Isaiah chapter 6. So uh, at camp, usually when I start with, if you have your Bibles, all of camp will reply back and say, and I hope you do. So Joel was the only faithful one. I appreciate that, Joel. What's that? Give us one more chance. Okay. If you have your Bibles. And I hope you do. Yeah, praise the Lord. Good, good. (laughs) Appreciate that. Uh, Turn to Isaiah. Did I say Isaiah chapter 6? Good. Uh, We're going to go ahead and read um, the entirety of the chapter, and then once again, we'll just ask the Lord's blessing on his word in our time together. Um, I do want to just thank uh, the guys who've been doing the music this weekend, Caleb, Matt, and Ian, Um, and maybe there were others that I didn't see. I wasn't here Friday night. Uh, Just so thankful uh, for God-gifted musicians uh, to help lead our hearts to a place to be able to hear what God is going to say to us. Um, Never to take lightly the part that music will play in the process of God communicating his truths to us. Um, Yeah, I mean, I could go on and on, and I'll try not to. But like last night, um, the video we're going to watch later, and I was just listening to it, and praising the Lord through it. Um, just, it's amazing how God has gifted us with music in order to be able to, to think on him. So just thankful for these brothers uh, and all the work that's been going on uh, this weekend. So Isaiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So the precious cry of a grandchild. Yes, I know, honey. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. 
And he said, go and tell this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the hearts of this people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. Then I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitant. The houses are without a man, the land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed men far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. But yet a tenth will be in it, and will return and be for consuming as a terebinth tree or as an oak, whose stump remains when it is cut down. So the holy seed shall be its stump. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, we do thank you for the wonderful privilege to be gathered in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we're thankful that we do have freedom in this country to be able to gather in a public location to declare the truth from your word. Father, we're thankful that you have preserved your word so that these things that Isaiah experienced, we can consider them for ourselves this morning. And Father, we do want to lay ourselves at your feet this morning. We want you to remove, we would ask that your spirit would remove any distraction from us in order to be able to hear exactly what it is that you're trying to tell each one of us. Uh, Father, we're thankful to know that your spirit works in such ways uh, that the message each one of us needs to hear and will hear might be different. And Father, we're just so thankful. Uh, so, Father, we just commit this word to you and ask your blessing on this time in the Lord Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so, for uh, those who were not here for the weekend, I uh, just want to do a little bit of a recap. I should say, for those who were not here for this weekend, I want to give you a, a summary of that which has already been shared over the course of the weekend. Uh, for those of you who were here, just want to give you a recap, a little bit reminder of where we've been. So in the first three messages, and they've already told you, uh, that we kind of summarized each message with one word uh, that begins with the letter S, okay? Uh, and each of them really coming down to being a question that God had asked of his people in one scenario or another. Okay, so the first one, uh, Friday night, Caleb, he took us from Genesis chapter 3, uh, after they partook of the fruit of the knowledge of the, uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and God came in their midst once again because God had a habit of being in intimate fellowship with them, uh, walking with them. But now, because of their sin, when they heard God in the cool of the day walking, they hid themselves behind a tree. And what question did God ask? Where are you? Where? are you. And the encouragement that Caleb was bringing to us on Friday night was to stop and to consider where you are before God right now. Because the question that he asked Adam and Eve is the question that he is still asking everybody in the world today. Where are you? And that will apply to you if you have never trusted in Christ, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, because he's calling out for you to come into this relationship with himself that can only be possible through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it also applies to those who have put their faith and trust in Christ, that sometimes we might find ourselves walking outside of faith, that we're not walking in the ways 
that we ought to be walking, that we're troubled, we're, we're doubting, um, and we need to stop and consider where we are. So that was Friday night. Stop. Where are you? Uh, Saturday morning, Ian took us to uh, two different accounts in the scripture, uh, both having to do with the Sea of Galilee. Uh, the first, well, maybe not in order, I think it was this way, but the first was the uh, experience when the disciples were in the boat and they were going across the sea and there was a great tempest that rose up around them. Uh, and they went to the Lord and said, do you not care? Because he was asleep in the back of the boat. Do you not care? And he literally stood up and said, what? Peace. Be still. And then the other example, of course, is when the Lord Jesus, when the disciples were in the boat, but the Lord had been on the mountain and he had been overlooking where the disciples were. He could see them. He was praying. And in the midst of the tempest, he came a-walking on the water. And Peter would ask the question in the boat, and he said, Lord, if that's you, then command me or bid me to come to you. He said, come. What happened to Peter? He began to sink. He took his eyes off the Lord. He saw the wind and the waves, and he began to sink. And the question is, why do you doubt? Why do you doubt? And that question is, in both of those scenarios, uh, you were concerned in the boat with the tempest that the Lord didn't care for you. And he said, do not care for us. Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? Uh, when Peter was on the water and he suddenly took his eyes off the Lord because he got consumed with the things around him, he began to sink. And the Lord Jesus says, oh, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? And the word that we have here, the S word for this message, was to see. So stop and consider all of who God is and where you presently stand before him and then see him for who he is. The disciples, when that great storm rose and they said, do you not even care? And he said, peace be still. And there was a, immediately a great calm. What did the disciples then say? I like the King James when I usually quote this one, which is, what manner of man is this? that even the wind and the sea would obey him. <laughs> right? What manner of man is this? This is the Son of God, the one by whom all things exist, by whom all things hold together. He sustains every living creature on this planet, including you and me. Somebody recently was saying, uh, remember it, Ben might be able to clarify, well, I have no idea who said it or when. I'm thinking Ben might have been there with me, but like, Every atom in our body is held together by the sustainer. What manner of man is this? This is the son of God. This is God himself, the creator. See him for who he is. The third message, last night, the question for the disciples was in John chapter 6. In uh, many of the disciples, the Lord Jesus started talking um, and he was saying difficult things to hear and understand, like, you must partake of my body and drink of my blood in order that you might have life. That's not exactly what he said, but you must partake of my body and drink of my blood. Now, if I said that to you, you'd be pretty freaked out. I mean, just imagine, in order to come and serve at camp, you must partake. <laughs> 
we already have a hard enough time getting staff. We're not going to do that. <laughs> so, but this was a hard thing. And what it says is many of those who were following him that day left him. So he looks to the 12 and he says, will you two leave? This is the question. Will you two leave? And the answer is really our third S, which is stay. Peter's response when the Lord Jesus asked that question, will you two also leave, was, to whom shall we go? For who else has the words of eternal life? And one of the just little bit of encouragements as we consider this, and Aaron brought this out in the message last night, is eternal life does not begin on the other side of death to this life. Eternal life begins the moment we have put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we walk in eternal life even today. If you've trusted in Christ and you've received the spirit of God that's dwelling in you, that is part of the eternal life. To whom else shall we go? For who else has the words of eternal life? So stop and consider before God who you are and who he is. See how he has manifested himself, the creator, the one who has uh, omniscience, the one who is omniscient, who knows all things, Um, omnipotent, who's all-powerful, omnipresent, who is everywhere. He knows everything. He can do anything. Consider him. See him for who he is. And then when you think about your own life, remember to stay to listen to him because he's the only one who have the words of eternal life. So now that brings us to the fourth message. And that was a very lengthy summary, so we'll try to keep the message itself shorter. Five points out of Isaiah chapter 6 for us to get to. And you can probably think about what the fourth S is going to be, the S is for this message. But I won't give it to you yet. So the five points, number one, clarity. Number two, conviction. Number three, cleansing. Number four, calling. And number five, commission. Got it? Are you writing your notes down? Okay. All right. You're memorizing. That's good. Clarity, conviction, cleansing, calling, and commission. Clarity. In the first few verses here, in verses one through four, you see the vision that Isaiah has. Now, understanding just a little bit of the context, King Uzziah was the king for 52 years, and overall, he was made to prosper when he did the things that God would have him to do. The one thing that was negative about Uzziah is it said he kept the high places where they were. In other words, the places that they would sacrifice that were not the place that God would want them to be offering up sacrifices. And then in the later days, It says, when his heart was lifted up, in other words, when pride came in, he himself went into the temple to burn incense. Now, was he supposed to or allowed to do that according to the law? No, because that was reserved for the priest to be able to do so. So he who was the king was lifted up in pride, and he went into this place. And the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah had this vision. And what was Division. So just a few points. Number one, he sees the Lord sitting on the throne. He sees the Lord sitting on the throne. So imagine, again, put yourself in the position of Isaiah, who's, uh, Isaiah because of King Uzziah, who had been a king for 52 years. Now, you and I are lucky that we only ever have a president for no more than eight years. Right? Whether we like the president or we don't like the president, we're glad that we don't have them for more than eight years. But could you imagine going, I'm only 51. 
Okay. I say only 51, and the young people all went, only 51? You're ancient. Um, when I say I'm only 51, I mean 52 years. Like, literally, in my entire life, if King Uzziah was the king, I wouldn't have known any other king. And what Isaiah is being reminded of is that there is one who is sitting on the throne that has not to do with anything that's happening on the earth. And in John chapter 12 and verse 41, it says, These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. Meaning that this vision that he had was the Lord Jesus Christ on the throne. So when you look at this vision of Isaiah chapter 6, you have to realize that the vision that Isaiah is happening, having is that of the Lord Jesus Christ who's sitting on the throne. And he was sitting on the throne then. Who's on the throne today? The Lord Jesus Christ. He's sitting on the throne. And this is the vision, meaning he is the one that is supremely sovereign, sovereign authority over all of the earth. Kings and presidents come and go, but the Lord Jesus Christ remains forever on the throne. And we can thank God for that. Our life is not in the hand of the president of the United States or in the president of Russia or anywhere else. Our lives are in the hand of the one who sits on the throne with eternal power. He also sees him and it says he is high and lifted up. He is exalted before the nation that all people at this point in this vision that he has is of the Lord Jesus Christ receiving the honor and the glory that he deserved. Again, Philippians chapter two, the one who had made himself of no reputation that he emptied himself. It said he had veiled himself of his honor and his glory when he was on this earth was high and lifted up. Father, glorify me with thine own self, with the glory that I had with thee before the world was. John chapter 17, in the Lord's Prayer. Glorify me again with the glory that I had with you. Please, as brothers and sisters in Christ, please catch hold of this, this vision that we have with great clarity as Isaiah did of who he is. On this earth, we don't see his glory, but we do have the ability to, by faith, see his glory, even as Isaiah did. So he saw him high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple, speaking of his royalty and majesty. And then when he saw the seraphim, and the, that means the burning ones, what were they saying? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Now, right now, you and I, just like in that day with Isaiah, he could not say that at that moment in the life that he was living, in the life that we are living today, that the whole earth is filled with his glory because we see all the brokenness of this earth, all of the sin that has corrupted it. But the vision that he had was the whole earth was filled with his glory. And someday, someday in the new heaven and the new earth, we will totally experience what this is going to look like when the one who is rightfully sitting on the throne, who is righteously uh, commanding all things to happen, and the world will be filled with his glory. Holy, holy, holy. Speaking of God's distinctiveness, his uniqueness, his purity. 
The reason that they say it three times, holy, 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 was really just a way for them to emphasize. That's how holy he is, is they had to say it three times in order to be able to communicate the absolute purity and distinctness of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ. So imagine like as a, you know, you've heard the question or maybe you yourself had the conversation when you're a young person in particular. And when I say young person, I'm talking like 12 and below now, so that doesn't, you know, where I said, do you like him? Well, yeah, I like him. No, no, do you like him like him? Well, do you like him like him like him, right? Yeah, I like him like him like him, right? It's an emphasizer, and that's what this is, is an emphasizer to declare the actual true holiness of who God is. And please, as we catch this vision, let's remember what that's going to mean, and we'll get to that in point number two. And then the whole earth filled with his glory, we talked about that. Okay, second point. Conviction. So we have clarity. We have an idea of who God is sitting on the throne, the Lord Jesus Christ, the whole earth filled with his glory. He is completely and totally um, holy, distinct, unique. And Isaiah's response is not wow, but it's woe. I mean, you can imagine, like, perhaps if we were having this sort of vision, there might be a tendency to be, like, wowed because of the majesty and the glory and all that we see. But his response was not wow, it was woe. And in Isaiah in particular, the woes was a pronouncement of judgment, In the previous chapter, in Isaiah chapter 5, he goes through and he's pronouncing woes against the children of Israel for all of the different things that they were doing. Getting up in the morning and drinking is one of the things that's in there. And he's pronouncing the woes. So now that as he's faced with this clarity, it brings conviction for him to realize, woe is me. Woe is me. Like he was pronouncing the woes against the children of Israel, kind of like you're standing there as the preacher and you're telling everybody else what they're doing wrong and and the sin that's consuming them. But suddenly when he's faced with this vision, it's no longer woe to them. It's woe to me. I see myself in light of who he is. Stop and ask the question, Adam and Eve. Stop and ask the question, where are you? Isaiah doing the same thing, woe is me, for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in, the, dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. How many of you feel like as we walk through this world, it is just completely trashy? Like anywhere we go, we look around and we're distracted and we're tempted by the sin and the things that are around us. I remember a number of years ago, and I've probably shared this story, but a number of years ago, Shona and I, uh, I had a business meeting trip, and uh, they would take the whole company to a different location. And this year, because the flights were cheap, uh, we were going to Las Vegas. Now, typically, there's a number of things about Las Vegas that you can say, what happens in Las Vegas stays in Las Vegas. Las Vegas is the worst place to go to. That's what people will say to you. And I want to literally, if you've never been to Las Vegas, I want to describe for just a moment how bad it is. You walk off the plane, and the advertisements that are pasted all around the place 
are not good. Like you go into the Rochester airport and there's nothing. Like there's not a whole lot there up there. But in Las Vegas, you get off the airplane and you walk out off the runway, you are just bombarded with all of these advertisements and so many of them are sinful. Now, thankfully for the business trip, we were out in the desert somewhere, not like literally in the desert. We were in a hotel in the desert, so we were away from the city, but you just, you're surrounded by this, surrounded by it. Everywhere we go, you can't look at a billboard that's not going to lead a mind differently in a way that would be opposite of the holiness of God. I'm a, I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, is what Isaiah was saying. It's all around me. It's consuming me, but we have to have the vision of him who sits on the throne who is holy. We have to realize that we are not just, we can't blame all of that stuff around us and say, well, I I live in a people of unclean lips. I live in this fleshly place, so it's out there and it affects me. No, woe is me, for I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So you see with clarity of who God is, that brings conviction to recognize our actual position before him. And that leads us to our third point, which is the cleansing. The cleansing. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your iniquity is taken away and your sins are purged. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. We cannot cleanse ourselves. There is nothing that we can do. What must I do to do the works of God? Believe in him whom he has sent. What must I do to be saved? These are, it's all the same questions. By faith, come to Jesus Christ. And the beauty of the thing here is all you need to do is come to the recognition of who you are before the living God, the holy God of the universe, and he has provided the way of cleansing. Isaiah didn't do anything. God sent the angel, the seraphim, over with the live coal and touched his lips so that there was cleansing. Isn't that awesome? That this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing that we need to do except to have acknowledged, to repent, agree with God of our sinfulness, and receive the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. And beloved, for believers, this would be true for each one of us. He is faithful. He is faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We're never done. He's never done working through us and in us. I should say in us and therefore through us. There's never going to come a point on this side of eternity in which we can say, okay, I am holy, holy, holy. Please. And we see it in the world in which we live today. We see it in the church in which we live today. Those who are oftentimes exalted within the context of the church, we see falling very, very hard. None of us will ever get to that point, but we can always come to this place of being reminded that we are cleansed by God and the work that Jesus Christ has already done and accomplished on the cross at Calvary. So fourthly, fourth point, 
So clarity, conviction, cleansing, and now the calling. So in the beautiful part about the calling here, and this is really the crux of the message, so this will be where you see the fourth S word, if you can figure it out. So in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8, also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. Yes, send. Good job, Stephen. Right? You just said that, didn't you? Oh, did he? Send, right? The fourth S, just to bring some clarity around. And this is the crux of the message. And one of the beautiful things about this, the way this is written in my thinking, is that Isaiah just heard God talking to himself. Does that make sense? Like, I'm not saying with great, you know, authority that that's exactly how it was, but the question he asked was, whom shall I send? He didn't go to Isaiah and say, shall I send you and will you go for us? He said, whom shall I send and who will go for us? It's almost like the Trinity was there talking to himself, God in three persons talking, whom shall I send and whom will go for us? And immediately Isaiah heard it and he said, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. This idea of the, the whom shall I send, uh, number one, God's divine direction. Whom shall I send? In other words, God is part of this process in figuring out where you're going to go and what you're going to do. It's not all up to us. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That we should walk in them. Whom shall I send? God is going to be part of that process to be sent forward. And yet at the same time, he's also asking the question, who will go for us? In other words, we have to willingly go at the command of the Lord to do what he's called us to do. Matthew chapter 28 in this New Testament, you see that it's not so much a question, but it's a command. Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Go. Who's going to go? So when I think of young people, but it's not just applicable to the young people in the room, even the really young people, and even the older ones, which would include me. So the older ones, the young people, the really young people, every single one of us, this is the question that the Lord is asking us. What are you doing with your life? What are you doing with your life? I mean, just again, this morning during the Lord's Supper, we were reading of so many of these similar sort of thoughts and passages from the Revelation, just reminding us of who God is, the angels and everybody else declaring God's awesome, mighty power, his glory and everything. If you have this sort of vision that we can have like Isaiah did, the question has to be, what are you doing with your life? One of my biggest burdens, and not just for North America, though it is for North America, but it's for me. One of my biggest burdens is that we live in this North American culture where we want to just live a normal, cultural-based life, just like the rest of the world. We talk about going to church, we talk about serving the Lord, and we're willing to do so many of those things. But when does it come to the point where literally our first thought is, what are we doing for him? 
Now granted, I'm not suggesting that everybody goes out, quits their job, and gets full-time and become missionaries. What I'm saying is every place we go and everything we do is a mission field. Every place we go and everything that we do should focus on who God is and the opportunity to declare his wonder and his works. Who will go for us? Isaiah's response, here am I, send me. Is that our response this morning? Is that what he's calling every single one of us who's trusted in Christ? If you haven't trusted in Christ, you don't know that's the first place to come to. Recognize him for who he is. Come to great conviction. Realize that you can be cleansed and then hear the call of God and respond to it. Here am I. Send me. So lastly, and this will be a very quick point, uh, is verse 9 in the commission. And he said, go and tell this people. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive, so on and so forth. Eventually, he asks the question Isaiah does, and he says, Lord, how long? And basically, the answer, and I'm not diving into all the details of the, the scriptures there, but basically, the answer is, until there's no one left. Until there's no one left. Until there's nowhere else to go, until there's no one else to tell the message to, until there's no one who's going to listen to you anymore, just keep going. Maybe we sit there and think, okay, I already told my friends, I told this, this one or that one, and like, I'm good. No. There's 8 billion people on this planet. I think Aaron quoted 7.7 billion. I don't know the exact number. Somewhere around 8 billion. I, I like to round up. I'm an accountant. There's a lot of people left who have not yet heard the message. There's people in our schools. There's people in our workplaces. There's people in our families and in our neighborhoods. Who will go for us? This is the commission until there's no one left. I beg you, especially the young people, the teens and 20-somethings, like your life has to have purpose. God has given you the purpose. The purpose is to follow him to go where he has sent you, to go where he's calling you to go to, to do what he's calling you to do. Follow him. Why? Because you see him for who he is. You recognize your own sinfulness, but that you were cleansed by him and that he's called you. And be like Isaiah, who has had this explicit demonstration of it. And immediately he responded, here am I, send me. Don't ever think that you can't go, that you can't serve, that you can't because of this, that, or the other thing. You've been cleansed. Now go. Now that doesn't mean we stay in a place of impurity. We constantly, with God's help, and submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit of God, strive for that sort of holiness that God has. But it doesn't have to hold us back. The past doesn't have to hold us back to do that which God is calling us to do. I'd like to play a video, if Matt can get that up for us. Uh, and then I'll have just a few more closing comments. Please, like, pay attention to the, the video, the pictures, and the words, both as you listen to them and as you see them on the screen.
I do not. Sometimes your calling comes in dreams Sometimes it comes in the spirit's breeze Yeah, you reach for the deepest hope in me And call out for the things of eternity But I'm a man of dust and stains You move in me so I can say
just want to reread some of those lyrics. Overwhelmed by the thought of my weakness and the fear that I'll fail you in the end. In this mess, I'm just one of the pieces. I can't put this together, but you can. Here I am, Lord, send me. I want to live my life as an offering. Here I am, Lord, send me. Somehow my story, my life, is part of your plan. Every single one of us. My story, my life, is part of your plan. Here I am. All my life an offering to you, to you, somehow my story is part of your plan. I love this picture at the end here. What does that signify? What's that? That's right. A clean slate, a blank page with a cry to say, Lord, fill it up. Earlier in the video, you saw a similar uh, picture there was a notebook that was blank with a map underneath it and a camera and other things. Here am I, send me, I don't care where it's going to be. Here's a whole map. You tell me where you want me to go. Have your life be a blank page asking God to tell you what he wants you to do. Don't waste this life on the things of this earth but only those things will last for eternity. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, we do thank you for this vision that we can have of you, of who you are, of who the Lord Jesus Christ is, the sovereign one who sits on the throne, the one who is holy, holy, holy. Looking forward to that day when the whole earth will be completely, totally filled with your glory. Help us to have this vision every single day so that that might be what drives us to do exactly what you would have us to do. Father, we're thankful that it's not by our own works, our own ability, our own anything in order to be cleansed, but you have provided the way of cleansing, salvation through the person and work of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, if there's anybody here who is yet to have trusted in Christ, we pray, Father, that they would come to the knowledge of the truth, that their sin has separated them from you, but by faith in Christ, they can know eternal life. Father, help us who have trusted in Christ to recognize that that eternal life is now and to walk in the enjoyment of that. And Father, help us to be willing to say, here am I, send me. I the book has yet to be filled. The page is blank. We want you to fill it for us. So, Father, we just thank you for this conference, for this opportunity to be together this weekend. And we just pray that you, by your spirit, would continue to do a work in each one of our hearts. Father, we're thankful for this time of fellowship that you've given to us uh, to have with a meal. We thank you for those who have been laboring all weekend to serve uh, in the various different capacities, uh, but in particular right now for those who have been serving the food for us. And Father, we just ask your blessing upon them. We thank you for this food, and we ask your blessing on our time together now. In the Lord Jesus' name, amen.